Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who legitimately laughed out loud today when I looked back at what I said for part one. For part one of this interview, I said, I'm Genesis, the girl who is still on the hunt for the perfect mashup of sex scenes and combat deep romantic connections, and weapon upgrades. Uh, hello, Baldur's Gate 3. I have found you, and you have found me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm Vervada, the girl who thinks that Baldur's Gate 3 is basically the magnum opus of video game romance, and our job is done. Clearly, the developers have mastered everything, so we don't need to exist anymore. We just need to play Baldur's Gate until the end of time. Oh, yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. Today's episode is the part two of our very long and very sexy talk with Michelle Clough, games writer, editor, narrative designer, and partner at Tailspinners. Michelle, if you don't remember or haven't listened to part one, which why the hell have you not listened to part one, is also the co-founder of the Forum for Erotic and Romantic Interactive Media, aka Fem. I've never said that word aloud. <laughs> Ferim, I imagine. Ferim. I thought you were to say Fenris. <laughs> I, like, that's, I was like, it's Fenris. And it's not like Femrir. <laughs> no, Fenrir. Ferim. I, I mean, I've never heard it said, so I'm just guessing. It's the girl who said Coruscant, so. Oh, God. I told you I would hyperfixate on it. Oh, no, don't do that. I deleted it. I deleted it. Okay, Michelle, on the other hand, is an expert in all things video game romance for sure. And, oh my gosh, okay, so I will tangent here for a second just because it was amazing that it happened this way. Um, so a friend of mine, a uh, friend of the pod, you all know of, uh, text me because they went to, he went to PAX and it was like, this PAX panel would have been perfect for you and V starting at 9 30 PM steamy or silly. The great video game sex scene debate 13 plus rating. And I was like, I responded. I was like, ah, this would have been perfect. Who was it being hosted by? I'm guessing Michelle Clough. And then he sent me the text back a, or a screenshot of like the event recap. And this is how it, it reads. Uh, it's a panel on a whirlwind tour of some of the best and worst sex scenes in gaming. Developers and industry insiders do a deep dive on their favorite or least favorite erotic moments in gaming. What works? What doesn't? And what larger themes they're a part of? And in the end, the audience shall decide, is it steamy or silly? Hosted by Michelle. Hi. When you were describing it, I was like, I remember her talking about her doing these talks. Like, she's done them on a couple of occasions where she just invites random people, I guess, to come 
share the stage with her and do these steamy, silly things. It sounds awesome. Yes, very much so. Yes, obviously, go listen to part one, as Jen said, if you haven't already, because Michelle's awesome. I hope we can see a talk of hers in person or online somewhere someday as like like the industry special ones, you know, that would be cool. But if you happen to be a video game developer or have a hyperfixation on developing as a hobby, be sure to check out Michelle's book, Passion and Play. She is so knowledgeable about the topic that is so very, very dear to our hearts. And in this part, too, we will talk immensely about all things video game romance. And as I'm editing this, <laughs> I just kept thinking through the whole thing while I was listening back to it. I would love to talk to her again about Baldur's Gate 3, because it's literally the horniest game in the world. We will get to Baldur's Gate when we get to Baldur's Gate, because there's so much that we get to talk about. And I think legitimately behind the scenes, y'all, we're rearranging the schedule. (laughs) Indeed, we are. As I'm playing it, I'm like, A, amazed and can't wait to talk about everything. Because some of the character development in the companion romance plotlines, oh my god. But B, I'm also like, just tired imagining writing the scripts for these (laughs) like there's so much to talk about and there's so many of them even the people who you just have you know relations with Mm -hmm. there's still so much to talk about there even though they don't have a, a romance per se yeah but enough about the content you're about to hear let's get busy hearing it no, I just had one more thought I wanted to say, um, because I've been thinking about it for the past couple minutes where you guys are talking about noises. And I'm thinking like about visuals where I feel like I wish there was more like foreplay type things and just sexy moments versus sex moments, if that makes sense. Like the most sexual scene that I could think of that was not sex was Garrus's tango scene in the Citadel DLC for Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. And like, that was just as satisfying for me to watch as if I had seen him and Shepard having sex. And it wasn't sex, though, but it was like a sexual act, like just tango in general is a very sexy dance. Yeah. So I wish we had more things like that, too, in games where it was like, it's almost like foreplay. Because like, that's part of sex, too, right? It's like getting ready for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. Like, it was interesting because actually, um, going back to Witcher 3 for a moment, in a weird way, one of my favorite sex scenes was the one uh, with Kira. And the reason being, weirdly enough, is because of the location it takes place in is this, like, there's this beautiful, like, big, like, rug that's laid out and there's candles everywhere and there's, like, flowers and stuff. And I was just like, I, I'm not even necessarily that invested in this particular couple, but man, this seems like a really nice place to get seduced. And yeah, so I, I think there's, and, and obviously, as you say, like, that's more of a sex scene rather than a sexy moment. But I think like, yeah, I want to see, I want to see more enjoyment of the anticipation of like, of just maybe that sort of idea of like, well, we think we know where this is going and there's all this sexual tension that that we're pretty sure is going to boil over at some point, but we don't know when. I actually like, I I, I have this sort of uh, theory or I, I was that I talk about the four different types of sexual tension where I sort of say there's, there's, we know what's going to happen, which is like, you know, you could tell that these characters are going to like fall into bed there's i think i know what's going to happen where like you're pretty sure they're going to fall into bed but you're not quite sure there's i wonder what's about to happen where it's all kind of sublimated and and like something's coming to a boil and something's growing between them but you're not quite sure what and then there's what the fuck just happened um where you either deliberately or accidentally did not build this up so either it is meant to be like a jump cut comedy thing of just like oh lol, those two characters are in bed together ta-da or you didn't really like set things up and it's just like okay well where's where's the tension and i i think i think games in general need to be better um or i would like to see them be better at generating sexual tension both 
in and out of the proverbial bedroom, like both, as you say, like things like the tango scene and sort of sexy moments outside of the bedroom, but also moments in the bedroom where there's sort of this feeling of like that delicious anticipation of like, oh, I think I know where this is going. I think I know where this is going and I'm gonna really really enjoy it uh, I think if I remember correctly Geralt doesn't Geralt like follow some rose petals on a path to get to that yeah that, that all was great because you knew what was gonna happen but you're like actively walking Geralt down this path to find the spot by I think it was a lake or something it was so beautiful I, I remember when you were talking about it, I'm like I remember that now and that that's a really good moment of anticipation too like you just finding where she set up the picnic you know I will shout out as another one that I actually thought the location was absolutely gorgeous was uh, the second sex scene with Bayek and Aya in Assassin's Creed Origins, where they're on that like kind of little cupola of the roof. And my, like that sex scene is so good for the first like 90% of it. Like it's, it's like definitely one of my top 10 because like it actually gets over their franticness. It gets over their love. It's in this beautiful location with this like amazing view over Alexandria. My only issue with it is that it does this thing where it then cuts back to the modern day plot line. And it's just like, that was not the time to do that. That was very much not the time to cut and run. And so by the time it goes back to them kind of snuggling, well, firstly, I've just like, I've just had cold water poured on my face in the middle of your hot sex scene, I'm already annoyed. And now you're coming back and I'm just like, no, 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 the moment's passed now. Sorry, you've, you've lost your moment. <laughs> I'm still bitter. <laughs> we will be covering uh, Aya and Bayek this year. So oh. I'm excited about that one. It's it's a great scene. I joke that it's like, it's snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, but really like it is a good scene even without that, it's just like, if they just tweaked that, in my opinion, they would have taken it from like a, a really good scene to, wow, this is like, this will be mentioned as one of the like better sex scenes on best sex scenes in video games lists. But yeah, I I think also just sort of having more characters as well talk about and act on and sublimate like desire, I think is also important. Like, and this was actually something I was thinking about when I was trying to think like when it when the 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 thing for this podcast was, oh, talk about your favorite video game romance. I'm like, I have to pick just one. Oh. But what I really wanted to talk about was funnily enough, the Tali romance in mm. in Mass Effect 2. And the reason I love it is because it feels like one of the few the it was it was sort of one of the few romances that really stick out to me in terms of this wasn't just generated by you picking the romance option over and over until she romances you it was there's this that one bit where like you you do have to pick the romance option but there's that one bit where it, it gives you the choice to like you know romance her or you know cut or shut her down but then there's also like kind of the info question where you sort of uh and if you choose it shepherd says hang on Tali are you trying to say that you've got you know feelings or are you trying to say that you've got interest me um uh, or suggest uh, oh that's right are you suggesting you have some kind of interest in me and she says this great line uh was it what could I possibly be suggesting I mean a young woman gets like saved by a dashing commander who then whisks her, her away to like save the galaxy how could she possibly develop any interest in him and the reason I like that is because it's like it works so well and it feels organic in terms of why she actually likes Shepard. Because that's like one thing that I really struggle with with a lot of romances where I'm just like, okay, but why does the love interest like the player character? And like, and I'm not saying that like, you know, oh, I never know. There's a lot of good romances where it feels very organic. But there's always that underlying feeling of, yeah, no, the reason why they like my, the player is because the player picked the flirt option enough times and thus the story has decreed that, yes, they're, you know, this character now has feelings for, for yours. But this was something where it was like, it took that, like, context of their prior relationship before romancing her was even a twinkle in the eye at Bioware because apparently they didn't think she'd be popular. <laughs> um and and it actually provides this really great foundation for why she would actually have a crush on Shepard and why she'd be interested. And I actually think that was great. And and it and 
throughout all that conversation where you are romancing her, she is in, in so many ways, she does so own her romantic interest and she owns her sexual desire. Like there's a part of me that's like, Oh, the whole, like, I need to feel your skin on mine. It's like, okay. In a certain mood, I'm like, that's a little cringe, but in other moods, I'm just like, yes, yes, that's so romantic. You know, it's just so beautiful. Yes. Get your man. (laughs) I love that. And I, and I, as I said, I sort of feel like it was, it's one of those ones where I want to see more NPCs that actually show agency with their interest in the player character. And when encouraged into a relationship also are totally willing to be like, hi, this is like, I want to talk to you about desire. I want to talk to you about what I want to feel the sensations I want to feel with you. And like, obviously, maybe phrasing it a little bit less awkwardly than I just did. But, you know, it's not like I'm a writer or anything. Oh, wait, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Garrus totally makes us feel like that. The reach and flexibility scene to me is amazing because it is like, I wasn't intending on making this about us. But you know what? Yeah, definitely. And it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, he wants me back let's go yes well also like the key for me in that scene was he said there's no one i respect more like and that was why he was like hell yeah i'll beg you you know yeah that's hot too it was a great scene and like i i say this is like i was more of a thane mancer because my god give me a lizard man and a leather jacket with angst and a gorgeous voice and i was just like yeah, yes. What's that? He, you're, you're, uh, apparently that, uh, oral contact, uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, Morton said oral contact can, uh, can generate hallucinations. Uh, hallucinations. I am yeah. totally can on board. With you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where do I, where do I sign up for that? Um, but, but Garrus, like, it's funny. I, it wasn't even so much that I found Garrus like sexually attractive. It was just more like, oh my God, Garrus, he's the best. Like he just defies expectation. He's just the best. If I romance him, he's the best. If I don't romance him, he's still the best. Like, yay, Garrus. I love him. So yeah, no, I, I, and, and as you say, the, the reach and flexibility sequence is just amazing. And, and that one, as I said, is interesting because like that is one where he's like not thinking it originally and then is like, well, that you mention it like that's actually probably a good way to handle the player initiated thing because it's like oh well i wasn't thinking of it but how do you bring it up these models could yeah. totally work you know that they, they, they can be done well and i think you know there's a lot of developers that have kind of nailed it um just occasionally i think if we could come up with slightly better structures underpinning them that were maybe a little bit less hit right option until sex come out uh then it would be easier for writers to like create more organic stuff um you know as opposed to having to like take that structure and try and put the organic stuff on top of it (laughs) that's what i liked about inquisition because if they had a bad opinion of you from your actions you couldn't romance them which was completely opposite of dragon age 2 where no matter what you did they were player sexual they would romance you. So I like that they've gone that way because it feels like you have real consequences to your actions that way and that they do have at least some agency. Like it's going to be limited. And as a game, inherently, you are the center of the universe as the player. So we can't really get away from that, I guess. I mean, like I, I get also that there's that feeling of we don't want like the the player to be forced into a romance they don't want, which is, you know, absolutely like, you know, totally true. But I, I feel like there's, you know, like there's a happy medium, you know, you can sort of have, you know, things develop and then have the NPC be like, hey, I just wanted to double check. Is this vibe I'm picking up? Is it this way? Because I'm totally cool if it's this way. And then and then give you the option to be like, yeah, totally that way. Or no, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. Um, the problem is, of course, a certain type of gamer reacted very badly to the idea of like Anders flirting with them. Uh, when they were a dude and uh, now we all have to suffer the you know well we have to make sure that we at no point ever make anybody feel threatened in their heterosexuality but uh, that's enough that's probably a rant for another time <laughs> but yeah it's um yeah I, I I would absolutely like to see more NPCs sort of take a little bit of initiative 
But uh, what you were saying, though, earlier about Inquisition versus uh, Dragon Age 2, though, I will say I actually, though, did really like the idea of the friend mance versus the rival mance in in Dragon Age 2. And I wish there were more games that played with that because I thought that was like, because to a certain extent, that also moved it beyond kindness coins, because although you're right that there was an element of they will always romance you, there was also an element of recognizing that your attraction to someone or or your desire to be in a relationship with them is not purely based around they just agree with everything I say and say nothing but nice things. It could be a case of like, I completely disagree with everything you've said about mages or blood magic or whatever, but man, I just can't quit you. This is just too strong to, you know, get over. And I I loved that dynamic and I'd love to see that dynamic in more games where, you know, you can sort of have the 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 rival mance where it's like, yeah, no, we actually do not get along. But man, the hate sex is really good. <laughs> so we talked about yeah. this on the Dragon Age lore cast when it came to the word rival mance and whether mm. or not that was really a good terminology for it. Because it's not that you're rivals. Mm -hmm. It's that you are challenging their beliefs to try and get them to change their mind. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, when I argue with somebody, it's not necessary, unless you're being a fucking troll on the internet, that's a completely different type of thing. But if you're somebody that I already care about, and I see that you're making self-destructive, you're presenting ideas that I don't necessarily agree with, I'm going to fight with you on that. I'm going to try and argue, you know, do you see this side of the story also? But then that gives you rivalry points. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's more of a challenge manse. Yeah. yeah. The difference between a rival manse to Anders, for instance, in friendship is at the end when he blows up the Chantry. If you've been his friend, he's just like, me and justice are one now. I regret nothing. But if you rival manse to him, he's like, oh my God, I'm a monster. Kill me, please. Like, completely different vibe it's crazy how much because and that is where the consequences come into your actions i think same with like meryl with her her clan getting destroyed and like kicking her out she's either like totally devastated forever or she's she's okay because she's built up the strength it's so weird because when i first played that game i was i never picked rival stuff because like, i don't want to be their enemy but like it ends up a lot of the times it seems like the outcome is better for the individual if you've rivaled them a bit and as a friend, it's more of like an enabler, at least in Anders' case, <laughs> definitely an enabler. Yeah, I one of the ones I find very interesting on the on the quote unquote rival uh, one that isn't a romance is uh, have you seen the the video of like if you're the one where you um, confront Aveline when she's about like she's apparently they've been. Uh, given amnesty to come back to Ferelden, and she's all like, "Well, what's the point of me staying here? Like, I'm just going to be dealing with your bullshit if I stay." Uh, and and that like the the person who was playing the clip I was watching was basically just pick, picking absolute max rivalry every time, like aggressive, like, and ends up getting punched out. And then at the end, it's just kind of like Aveline's like, "Yeah, okay, well, you really are something. You know what? I'll stick around. You're, you know, like, uh, I, I'm here for you, but let's not make a point of this." And I'm like, I gather that I think the friendship version of that is just that she's like, she's right off the bat being like, "Yeah, I'm not going to go back. This is where my home is now." But I thought, I, I mean, it, it seemed really interesting because, like, if I had to describe the vibes of it, it wasn't even so much, "Oh, you're a friend who calls her out," because again, with the aggressive, you were really just like, you know, no more running, stop being a coward. But it almost felt like dysfunctional found family, I think. Mm -hmm. The idea that, like, we don't get along, we don't like each other, but we're in each other's corner and we kind of love each other, even though we don't like each other. Um, and and it was an, it was a really interesting dynamic. And I kind of got that a little bit with some of the rival manses as well, where it was like, um, but although I think with the rival manses, they do settle out to more of a like, you do mean, you know, a lot to me and it's more affectionate. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's actually a very good point that like rival manse is a bit of a, a misnomer because it's, it's almost more like i'd almost describe the 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 choices between uh call out versus support so like are you a supportive friend slash lover slash whatever or or are you the person who calls somebody out on their what your hawk considers bullshit 
and of course, like the interesting thing is that allows for role playing in terms of Hawk as well, because like you might just be like, yeah, my Hawk has no problems with what Anders is doing. And it's just like, dude, why didn't you tell me sooner? I would have lit the match, you know. And that's actually one of the things I, I would like to see more in place of just sort of just straight kindness coin, where it's just like, I'll just flirt with you until you like go out with me. But but more that maybe who you are as a person, what your values are, the type of person you come over as can also go into a character's attraction to you. Like, I, I often think what would have been very interesting for a game like Dragon Age is imagine if in, instead of just, like, straight-up flirtation, that, say, Fenris would find himself attracted to you if you called him out on his bullshit. Or, or if you were just, maybe even just in general, you are just a person who calls people out on their bullshit. You are picking the aggressive, you know, option over and over. And that to a certain extent, he'd be attracted to your personality. Now that has its downsides as well, because that might be like, yeah, but I want to play a diplomatic person who gets with, you know, Fenris. And I, as someone whose headcanon is diplomatic with who gets with Fenris, I get it. But I, I sort of feel like, it like it would it would make for a very interesting different dynamic um and sort of one that could always be running in the background okay so let's actually do a little bit of a mid break because we have our amazing patrons that we thank and shout out each week toasty and apollo becky and bat night mystios and muffiny cake Mackenzie and Wynn, big hearts, major love, all the thank you, thank you, thank yous. Much appreciated. Make sure that your accounts are linked, your Spotify to your Patreon, and your Patreon to your Spotify in order for to make sure that you can get our exclusive bonus content, which is ad-free versions of the show put out earlier than our uh, main feed regular stuff. <laughs> You also get to vote on the topic of the month that we talk about in our Patreon live chat. You can join our Patreon chat at the end of each month as well at one, at those higher tiers. But getting in for just a dollar a month allows you to get the early ad-free versions of the show and voting on the topic that the girls and whoever else is able to join that month will discuss. If you're the highest tier, you can join us on those chats and that would be super fun we love that and also we are going to be at the portland retro game convention again this year doing another panel talking about sexy times in the video games it's gonna be great i think that's the other thing that gets me about how a lot of game romance tends to work and that is that it assumes that romance is only happening when you are in the conversation that has the flirtation or the kindness coin choices. Like, only now, when you say, flex reach and flexibility, Garrus, uh, is romantic anything going to happen? But, like, romantic attraction can happen almost any time. It can happen in the middle of a firefight. Like, I want to see, like you know femshep take down somebody with a sniper rifle between the the eyes and garris just being like oh that's so hot you know <laughs> like that's yes. so hot yeah that's what we talked about on our first garris episode too is like they could have and i hope maybe in future games because mass effect's like the perfect franchise to do that with because they're all aliens like you're telling me garris like shepherd because she has a vagina no, like, I don't know what sex looks like between Turians because they did not grace us with that visual, but I'm sure he's attracted to her initially because of her personality and her capability. He says, but they don't like show it as much as they, they could slash should have maybe. I feel like I 100% agree. And, I, and I'll and i actually like say that I think it, to a certain extent they, they do show it a bit because to me, the the, the key scene is always that bit where He's like, well, if you were Turian, I'd be complimenting you. You're on your waist or your fringe. So your hair looks good and your waist is very mm -hmm. supportive. Uh, and I mean, like, gorgeous, hilarious scene. But it also sort of makes it clear that, like, he's not 
there because he's attracted to the way you look. Uh, not, not saying he finds you repulsive or anything, but he's kind of like, like normally I would be complimenting these things, but they're not, you know, you're not a Turian and that doesn't like, it doesn't register with me in the same way. And it sort of is made clear that like, you know, he's there because he wants to be with someone he trusts and respects and he wants something good. Like he wants something that's just, you know, oh, like just the, the ending of that scene is just so, so sweet. And like, mm-hmm. I also regret not like getting more of that. Like I'm, I'm, I am, you know, I have a whole chapter where I talk about like, these are the times when fade to black works out really well. And I get that Fade to Black was a choice for Garrus, but at the same time, I'm like, I would have loved to see, like, not even so much sex, but just, like, more intimacy. Like, mm-hmm. actually, one of my one of my big pet peeves is uh, after, uh, what is it, the sex scene in Mass Effect 3, and with all of your human love interests and Liara, you wake up in bed with them in underwear, basically in a state of undress. But for Garrus and Tali, they're sitting across the room, like reading a book or putting like her mask on or whatever. And I'm just like, I mean, again, I guess I do understand that they are maybe not going to want to go to all the trouble of making a a nude Garrus just for one scene. Could you just make a nude Garrus just for one scene, please? <laughs> yeah. Um, Even the, the Citadel DLC, we had them waking up in bed next to each other, but he's in full armor. <laughs> yeah. Which also took me out of the moment. And I, I mean, like, even just like, I don't know, give him those Turian pajamas that seem to end up all over the place. Like, you know, then at least they can, like, spend time snuggling or something. And yeah, I I, I mean, the, as I said, I, I had thoughts about the fact that those two characters who are, like, among my favorite are like not just fully dressed which again understand from logistics but also across the room they start off in such a a more distant less intimate space from from shepherd compared to all the others and it's kind of a bummer i mean i i guess you could argue that like yeah but unlike the others they're already awake and so they're right there to you know after garris has their nightmare to immediately be there to talk about it but it still just sort of felt like i wanted to wake up next to them so yes so so yes if there's if there's one takeaway it's wake have us more more waking up in bed with sexy alien people please yeah i could not agree more that's also something that citadel dlc made very clear to me is that garris may have started out not finding shepherd physically attractive necessarily but then by the end he sure does because he comments on her all the time and i love that too because it's just it's a nice evolution because that that can happen in a relationship i like that yeah well i mean i i think it's you know it, it sometimes makes me sad because like obviously there are like it's 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 a dis- the discourse on days that end in Y is like you know the idea that like yeah when when sexual attention is unwanted it's uncomfortable and we don't want it but when it is wanted it's great you know there's like the, I, I i sort of feel like there's this like weird dichotomy with again a certain type of online dude uh that's very much like either they seem to have two settings it's either creep on women who are not interested or well i guess then we won't say anything i'm like no you can find someone who's interested and if she's interested then you can be as sexy as you want towards her or like go for it i you know and and absolutely you know you have characters in these games like garris um who are able to sort of like just like they're able to vocalize and express their desire for the character in a way that's like really compelling and really hot. So while I realize one should not take, you know, all of one's, uh, you know, romantic advice from video games, obviously a couple of things you could learn if you pay attention. <laughs> uh, yeah. As I said, definitely some video game dialogue lines that I'm pretty sure if my husband used in real life would be like, all right, yep, let's go. Oh my God, (laughs) I know, right? All all I'm going to need is some guy that like has that kind of breathy voice and calls me, see, and I'm just going to be like, yep, let's do this. Let's do it. (laughs) Just, oh God. Oh, the Citadel for Thane Mansing destroyed me. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) No, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to talk about it. (laughs) 
I picked that as my top favorite Starcross lover relationship in video games. Because I can't think of a more tragic, better one. I love Thane. Maybe Solus. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. So I only is- I'm holding out hope that um after all of these years my Inquisitor will have some kind of closure <laughs> come Dreadwolf. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, it's it's we'll have to see he, how things go. He's actually another good example of like sexy but not sex scene because mm. he's got some real sexy kisses in that game. And I'm just like, ooh, he likes me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Also the scene where he removes the Valacine is actually kind of like it's it's intimate. I think is is you know it it sort of feels a little bit a uh, a disrobing like a physical disrobing yeah. of leaving your character naked except that obviously she's still wearing all her clothes but like the the way that scene plays out it it sort of very much plays like I'm you know I'm seeing you naked for the first time and it's just like yeah man I would have liked it if you actually been able to see me naked but <laughs> <laughs> I read a very convincing article saying that that is his sex scene because him removing it is such a bold public statement of like I love her because no one else can remove it like everyone knows her with it and now without it it kind of marks her as Solus's love interest mm. which I like that interpretation personally <laughs> I like that interpretation too mind you immediately goes and fucks it up <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, but oh, yeah. Oh my God, Trespasser! Just that was another one that destroyed me. I was just like, oh my God! Like, I, I, please bring on more of the do. Like, I, I, I mean, it's it's not so much that I inherently loved do love doomed romance, but I love intense romance, and I think because doomed romance tends to bring a lot of intensity to it. I tend to love them, even though I'm like, please stop doing this to me. Please stop hurting me, Bioware. But also, please don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) Hurt me so good. Um, My armchair theory is because you're a writer. We had a a Patreon episode for January where we did the Do You Like Happily Ever After? Or Starcross Lovers Better. And we had um, Mary Kenny just join us randomly, who's a narrative designer. And her and I were the only ones who picked Starcross Lovers. And then it sounds like you kind of prefer that too. So I'm kind of like, I wonder if writers like to feel pain more, you know? I, I think, you know, because I definitely know a lot of writers that are just like, yes, let me feed on the tears of my players. Nom, nom, nom. Like, I I, I know my saying, uh, like, I, I know someone who you know, does work for uh, a, a a very popular sort of multiplayer uh, AAA game. And she did work for it that absolutely was like, yes, doomed love, yes, anguish. And like watching her on Twitter just be like, yes, drink up. And like, I drink the, you know, and everybody being like, yes, thank you for this wonderful meal. And I'm just like, yep, that's, that's pretty awesome. I'm sort of like, I'm sort of in the middle, I think, because like I I I love the intensity and the pain and the anguish and the and the desperate love of star-crossed lovers, but I also really like happy endings. So maybe I kind of like a hybrid of both. Like I like uh, what is it the TV tropes called it earn your happy ending, where it's like, "Oh my god, you have to go through so much terrible shit to get your happy ending." But then you get your happy ending. Like I I I think for me that's my ideal because then you kind of get the best of both worlds Mm -hmm. so so like you know if i was doing you know if somebody handed me the keys to the soulless romance and was like all right michelle let her rip i'd probably be like okay i'm gonna leave inquisition exactly as it is and i'm gonna like have a whole bunch of like gut-wrenching emotional trauma moments between like Solus and the Inquisitor but at the end there will be some sort of like beautiful moment of closure where like either they manage to get together or I don't know they like they somehow go beyond the veil together or something happens like it might it might it might be sort of tragic but in a oh they're together kind of way like yeah I I absolutely would um would love to do something like that yeah, um i would eat that shit up yeah <laughs> a- actually uh on a somewhat video game related note i have you two been watching uh the the uh the left for dead uh, not left for dead what am i talking about sorry <laughs> the last of us yeah yes uh, so I haven't been watching it, but I I've watched all the major clips for episode three and it's just like oh my god that 
Jesus. It's a masterclass of a story, that's for sure. If it's not the best love story I've ever seen portrayed on film, then it's it's up there. Part of the reason it's so good is it's long-term for me. It's middle-aged love. It's a gay romance. It's just everything we need. But it's also just anyone can relate to it. It's just two humans surviving and thriving, really. Honestly, they have the best setup in that world. Yeah, like... I love how they handle the time skips, like, you know, the, the bit where, like, he just rockets out of the house and they're being like, fuck you, fuck you. And yeah, then, it, like, three, like, three years later, and it's like, okay, so you know that this isn't, like, them the next morning. They've stuck around for three years, and this is just kind of, at least for me, I immediately got the thought, of, oh, okay, so this isn't, like, a we're breaking up squabble. This is a we've been together for a long time and we have fights kind of squabble and it wasn't even like i have to say as far as like fights when it wasn't even that bad like it was just it's like oh fuck you okay and then and then they i mean obviously there's a great line of like you think everybody's like the governor's all these the government are nazis well, <laughs> well, they yeah, are now. <laughs> um and, and just yeah that dynamic and and that's i think actually kind of what i mean by like uh, uh you know it's obviously like oh my god i can't watch the ending without like tearing up but i also totally see it as like you could very much say that that's a happy ending even though it ends with so much character death because like i i mean he perfectly phrases it as like but objectively speaking it's incredibly romantic and i'm like yeah give me more of that stuff like i i i i realize that like there are aspects that you have to be careful of because, you know, obviously, like, if one is not careful, one can get into barrier gaze territory, which I, I, my understanding is that that this was not an example of that. But I, so, but I understand, like, the issue that, like, queer romance has had a history of generally being more tragic and, like, ending poorly for everybody involved. So I understand that there's nuances there that need to be careful around. But having said that, like, yeah like characters just dying together at the end of the world or the beginning of the world or to save the world i'm just like yep this counts as a happy ending in my books i'm totally on board with this so yeah i'd, I'd love to see more of those and and e either as side stories or as like main stories i feel like i feel like there are stories that sort of deal with with characters being like torn apart but for some reason, none of them are really coming to mind at the moment. I'm sure I will think of one as soon as I get off the call and be like, damn, I forgot to talk about such and such. You're always welcome back. Oh, Absolutely. well, thank you. I will totally come back. This has been so much fun. Actually, I did just think of one now that I think about it. Uh, and that's, well, again, spoiler uh, for Assassin's Creed Origin. Uh, it was sort of something where I think if it had been handled a bit better, it would have hit that, which uh, I, I don't know if are you guys trying to avoid spoilers for it or no? Okay. Um, no, I've definitely played the game, but I'm wondering right. if since this is going to be a game that we're covering this year, maybe we should avoid the spoiler on it? Or what do you think, V? When is this one coming out? I, I can talk in veiled terms if that helps. I will say that the separation of certain characters felt like it had emotional weight but i was sort of left wondering to a certain extent why it was happening and i feel that there mm -hmm. was an aspect of that just a little bit of a tweak would have made it feel very much like i understand why they are parting ways um and and they sort of had it Sorry, what you was can that? be more specific. Your episode's coming out after our Origins episode. I just checked our schedule. Oh, okay, right. so, oh, yeah, no sweet. worries. Um, so the 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 breakup between Bayek and Aya at the end felt uh, like I understand some people were sort of saying, "Oh, it was like it was obvious that they were going to break up." I'm like, eh, it, it, there were problems. I mean, there were some hints, but I would say that the they had more time together where I was impressed by the strength of their love than times when I was like, oh dear, the writing's on the wall that they're not, you know, going to remain together for long. And it, it was, it was again, kind of one of those snatching defeat from the jaws of victory sorts of things where I was like, it, the, the option was sort of right there in that it could have lent a little bit harder into the idea of the fight we need to do to stop the Templars and to stop, you know, this, all of this stuff from going on. She's like, we need to take this to Rome. And he's like, I agree, but also we need to stay here because like Egypt is our home and we have to protect it. 
and them just coming to the conclusion of as much as they love each other, they have to physically part. Like, and and maybe not even like with a feeling of, well, now we're broken up, but maybe like, maybe we will be reunited at some point in the future. But for now, we have to go our separate ways. And like, because I think the problem was that I sort of was left at the end being like, it didn't play a, off as much as that. And more as, well, we're just breaking up now because we're doomed. And I'm like, why? I'm, I'm actually kind of missing. The, like, I, I I sort of get what they were going for, but I, they didn't do enough, I think, to sell me on the idea. And I think it would have been a bit stronger if it had been more we're giving up our love for duty, you know, for, for what we think is right, rather than we're giving up our love because, I don't know, reasons. Yeah. And, and like, and, and I do want to say, like, I understand that, you know, relationships can often break up after the death of a child, but there was an element of like, yeah, but we, again, didn't see a huge amount of buildup as to why they would break up. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't work for me. I, I'd be interested to 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 hear what you two think. Yeah. No. I did not see it coming at all. And mm. I think because I had the mindset of like, okay, even if they, because they separate and get back together all the time physically, like mm. why is her going to be moving permanently to Rome and him staying in Egypt going to be? Why is this a new barrier that has come mm. up between them? Why Why can't they still work through this one? Or even kind of make their marriage a little bit more open. And mm. they're still together. They still love each other. They still have this bonded past. But if you need to go get some, go get some. Like, mm -hmm. I, I I just didn't understand why they thought that splitting up and breaking up and ending their love was the answer to the problem. Yeah. Like, that that one bit of dialogue, because like I I want to say that uh, uh, I I don't remember the exact line, but they they sort of talk at one point that like our love is cursed to not live in this world, maybe in the next one, you know. But it, it was it, like there there was sort of this feeling of like either that like oh our love died along with our child, or our love is doomed not to, to like we could never be in this world. I'm like really because you seem to be doing a damn fine job of being perfectly a, a perfectly good couple up till now where is this coming from like I, I I guess there were some hints that there was like disagreement between them like you know that that she was like more trusting of Cleopatra and he wasn't but like even there it, it didn't feel like enough of a conflict that at the end I was like I completely understand why they broke up I was like no I don't get why they're breaking up I didn't um, either I, yeah it it felt very abrupt very Mm, I, yeah, and I will definitely get into more of this because I had a lot of feelings. I think that uh, I think that they are amazing characters, absolutely on their own. Each one of them, I loved being Aya and sailing on the ship and just being a badass. And then yes. when you actually get to play as her and fighting, I'm like, mm, okay, love it. And running around as Bayek, I'm like, I'm stealthy. I am sneaky. I'm walking up behind dudes and just like stabbing them in the kidneys. Hell yeah. Loving this game. Yes. Uh, but then together, they didn't make 100% sense to me. Interesting. In the beginning, I think that they were definitely together because, you know, they had a kid together. They probably would have been happy and just lived out of marriage of convenience mm -hmm. in Ziwa without tragedy striking i don't think that they are they are great on their own i don't think that they are the best marriage i don't think that they really really belonged together to begin with interesting i i have quite quite different thoughts but i i also am interested to to hear what v thinks as well <laughs> i i have no thoughts yet because i actually haven't played that one right <laughs> Fair enough. no you know, i knew that that's how they ended up because i've heard people talk about it they, a lot of people have requested us to do that episode which is why we finally put it on this year um but it takes a while to get through mass effect because they just gave us so many options mm -hmm. um and yeah so i will definitely have thoughts once i I guess you'll have to wait for our episode on them. Yeah. <laughs> or probably before then, because we plan on joining one of your roundtables. 
Yeah. Because yeah. as I said, we we usually do them like once a month. And and uh, I mean, they are, as I said, a little bit geared towards like, because Ferrum's a bit more for uh, developers, they are sometimes a bit more like focused on, let us have thoughts about practical ways to deal with X and Y. But there's also a hell I of a lot. I want to be a fly on the wall mainly because my, my dream is to be a producer someday. So the more I learn is good for me like that's no that's plus, awesome also we love romance so just hearing people who work on it every day talk about it would be cool yeah well and, and i mean we certainly do talk a lot about like you know existing games and and sort of like breaking them down like what was the last one we did um the last one we were did did actually was about uh npcs that flirt with the player regardless of player input um and this was actually inspired because I play a lot of Final Fantasy fourteen. I don't know if you two play Final Fantasy fourteen, but I I do. And it was inspired by the fact that there are several characters who, even though you can't enter into any sort of relationships because it's a linear game, they're very clearly interested in you. And they do it in in at sort of varying levels of subtlety, also varying levels of are they a villain or a hero? And it, and it, like, I love it, but I imagine there are some people that get uncomfortable on it. So, you know, we spent a whole, like, you know, two hours talking about, like, well, let's talk about, like, Fire Emblem and how that handles this thing and, and how, like, S ranks, like, you know, work. And, and what about Jesse in Final Fantasy VII Remake and the fact that she's clearly super thirsty for Cloud, regardless of what Cloud says or does. So, yeah, like, we usually have all sorts of, like weird and wonderful conversations so uh right. hopefully i'll be able to join the next one i want to i forgot to tell you i found a news article about you and can't remember her name someone who worked at bioware or maybe still works at bioware and um one of the things you said was that you were obsessed with sephiroth yeah <laughs> a huge crush and i'm like i identify with that because that was me everyone was talking about everyone else i'm like mm, give me give me sephi please i mean and vincent valentine <laughs> oh yeah yeah, it's, we have we have similar taste in men. I can see. Did you see. romance? Well, you said you didn't really play Dragon Age or or too much, but if you played Origins, did you romance Alistair? Uh, actually, if I in the bit the, the small bit, I I was going totally going for Zevran. He's yeah. he's the Bishonen. Like I like me some Bishonen. Uh, Bishonen elves. Any any dude who is pretty with long hair, like. Look, as far as I can tell, I watched Labyrinth when I was eight, okay. and that movie yeah. has a lot to answer for about my, like, sexuality, because basically okay. my sexuality is pretty much hot, vaguely villainous dudes in tight leather pants or tight pants, uh, you know, with long hair and pretty. <laughs> and I'm just that. like, I remember that was a bit at the end. I think that was, like, the first movie that ever at the end I felt unsatisfied with, like, the villain being defeated, because I was like... Like, I remember there's that, like, there's that scene where there's, like, everybody's having that party in her room. And I remember as an eight-year-old being like, why isn't he there? Like, I know he was the bad guy, but, like, he should be invited. And he could be, like, I don't know, he could, like, smile at her across the room and give, like, a respectful nod. It would be so good. And and, yeah. and then I wonder, in my 40s, like, how did I get here? Hmm, it's a mystery. <laughs> my mom read me Lord of the Rings when I was six years old, and I think that's when I got the crush on Legolas. <laughs> oh, see, I my my dad did the same thing, but I that was unfortunately my little five year old brain did not uh, internalize. Like, I, I firstly I kept falling asleep just because it was like kind of complicated, and Dad had a very soothing voice, and it was bedtime yeah. reading. Um, mm -hmm. But also, I didn't at that age understand the concept of corruption. I was just like, "Well, I don't understand." They told him not to put the ring on. Why isn't he? Why is he putting the ring on? They told him not to do it. He's yeah. being bad. Like the idea of just disobeying authority at that age just did not enter into my equation. And the idea of this <laughs> ring being like corrupting him was just like, I don't get it. But oh my god, when the movie came out, yes. I was just like. Oh. I was like, I loved Legolas in the books, but I didn't love him in that way until Orlando Bloom happened as Legolas. And then I was like, wait, I feel about him a certain way now. I, I, <laughs> hang on. I'm going to I'm going to embarrass myself. Give me a second. I'm going to tilt in this cardboard standout that is literally oh, yes. right behind me in my room. Oh, my um, God. Oh, you love it's, it yeah. so much. it's very faded. And I at some point I'm going to get rid of it. It is a, a remnant of my misbegotten youth. And when I say youth, I mean, like my 20s. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I keep, he's, he's very faded and cause he's right up against the window, but I just, every now and again, I'm just like, God, he was really hot in that. <laughs> but, yeah, um, definitely. 
Yeah. It, it's funny because I've seen so many people say variants of the thing of like, oh, well, when I was a teenage girl with immature tastes, I like Legolas. But then as I became a woman, I was all about the Aragorn Damn. because like, no, or Aragorn. It's like, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Aragorn. He's so stubbly. And, and I'm just like, no, nah, I'm still I'm still a Legolas gal. I'll always be a Legolas gal. Like I, 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 I get the appeal of Aragorn, but I'm like, nah, nah, too many baths are going to be needed to make this pal- palatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I suppose my laptop is about to die. So I should probably get your like, where can people find you on the interwebs or reach you? Yes. Uh, so I confess I'm terrible at, at uh, social media. I keep on saying I should really tweet and then I never do. But uh, they can like message me or DM me or, or just at me at uh, uh, on Twitter. I'm at Michelle under slash Clough. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. I never check it, but at some point I'll I'm sure I'll find messages to it uh, under Michelle Clough, my I think there's only one game writing Michelle Clough. You'll find me eventually. I don't know what info I'm supposed to give. I'm just like, oh, it's such an introvert. I don't know how to like anything (laughs) too in our description. That's probably a good one. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. And if I do come up with at some point like a Mastodon or something like that, I'll get that to you guys as well. Because I keep thinking if I do do Mastodon, like this should be the point where I finally get off my butt and do social media as opposed to now, whereas like I tweet like two times a year and then I'm like, ta-da, and then I run off into the, into the horizon being like, please do not perceive me. <laughs> I feel well, that. I'm very happy that you responded to our Twitter DM and we were able to connect over that and, uh, you know, had this amazing, amazing interview that honestly, at the two hour mark, we will probably split into two separate episodes and make you a fantastic, amazing two parter. Because the conversation tonight has been absolutely amazing. And we Uh, fully hope that you will come back on the show again later. And we can talk about all the new things going on. I'm pretty sure that we might even have to have like a big roundtable discussion mm. after like a month after Dreadwolf comes out and just have right. all the Solus Mancers get together and yep. just <laughs> just, just feeling stuff. Oh. Comfort each other or celebrate. We're not sure which way it's gonna go. I, I'm wondering if they're gonna actually because like I, you know, part of me is like, maybe they might have Fenris come back. I realize that there's like variants of canon where he, you know, bites it, but he also has a comic series. So mm-hmm. who knows? Bioware's canon is he's alive. And I want to see Zevran again. Oh, yeah. I want to see some of the companions other than Anders from Awakening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I want to know what happened to Anders, but I'm of the like, he's an abomination camp. So mm-hmm. yeah, feel bad for him, but don't romance him. That's my advice to people. Yeah, it's a bit tricky because, of course, they've set it up so so much that like you um that that all of these characters can die too. Yeah. So there's sort of an element of like, okay, well, I I understand now why they'd be a little bit hesitant to you know like to go in. Although, although to be fair, I mean, it's not like they haven't had experience doing that. They did it mm-hmm. in in Mass Effect Three. In fact, that was like I actually did QA for Mass Effect Three, and part of my whole job was basically going through and being like, okay, so if you never met Garrus in Mass effect one but then you recruited him in mass effect two is there any dialogue that plays that shouldn't be playing that like having him refer to stuff that he shouldn't know about because he wasn't there mm-hmm. and like Ooh. there was one thing that was kind of on the edge and i was like how about this and they're like oh my god see what like it's fine he'll just he'll just be talking about it generally and i'm like okay um but yeah so there there's they're they're pretty good i think about doing that but i can also see the issue of like okay, well, now we've got to come up with a bunch of backup characters that we use if the main characters are, mm-hmm. are dead. And um, But it doesn't mean they shouldn't try. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what they've come up with. So hopefully. All right. I can't wait. Yes. Awesome. Well, uh, as I said, I mean, I'd be happy to c- continue talking, but I realize you two also probably have to go. So um, if, if you want to keep talking, great. But if you need to go, that's also fine, too. <laughs> I definitely need to go make dinner. Me, I know yeah. that your computer's literally about it's to die. Yes. I'm watching the battery count go down with every minute. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much. Awesome. Yes. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes. 
or on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. And of course, in our Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. And come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash Ship. Our theme music was comprised by the ever-talented Pipe Man Studios, and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not. Links are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls, One Ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Which, gosh, the list is just growing, isn't it? Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.